Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. At Beaver Creek Game Calls, all of our calls are handcrafted and held up to the highest standards. Our goal is to provide a quality custom call that every hunter can afford. We strive every day with this goal in mind. We also take pride in our customer service because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we love and that is to make quality custom hunting calls. All of our calls are proudly made in the USA. Visit us online at beavercreekgamecalls.com and let us build your next call. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats. Or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you. Hey guys, good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, Jacob Robery. And as always, I want to wish you a good day. Hope everybody's having a great start to the work week. Uh, I'm off today, so we are here in the office at home recording a new podcast episode. And uh, I do apologize, guys. I had kind of teased that we on this week's show we were going to be having a special guest. And uh, due to a scheduling conflict, we're going to have to reschedule with the guest for this week. So you guys get to listen to me. And, uh, and I hope you enjoy this episode because we are going to be recapping the first split here in Louisiana for the 2021-2022 duck season, guys. So welcome in. If you guys are streaming us on YouTube, on our channel, welcome in as well. We, uh, we're glad to have you guys with us this week to talk waterfowl hunting. Um, I know a lot has been going on as we entered the first part of the season here in Louisiana, and it has been mixed reviews, guys, but I'm going to share with you this week, um, you know, our experience on what we saw in the field. Um, if you guys have been tuning in to the YouTube channel or the podcast, for that matter, you know that me and Jackson have been out there quite a bit during the first split. Um, and last week on our show, if you tuned in to the podcast, um, we had Nate Verdon over at, uh, <clears throat> over at um, Fallen Tide TV. He joined us as well as our buddy Roland Cortez from Days Bayou up in North Louisiana. Uh, Roland's a guide up at Days Bayou. Nate, he is uh, like us. He's constantly in the field throughout waterfowl season. So a lot of a lot of expertise as far as knowledge of what's going on in the field, we were able to share with you guys last week. Not that any of us are experts by any means, but we have a lot of knowledge of what we're seeing out in the field that we can share with you guys. So I'm going to touch on that this week in this episode because uh, I did not get too much into, you know, my experience so far. Uh, with having my two guests on the show last week, I wanted to get their take and their insights of what they were seeing and experiencing. So I'm going to fill you in and recap on this week's show what I saw me and Jackson, my oldest son, hunt, we hunted together 
for the first split, pretty much uh, most hunts that we were on. And, you know, like most of you guys, at this time of year, we, we tend to take vacation at this time of year. Um, a lot of my buddies who are big deer hunters, they do the same when deer season comes around. Uh, so hunting season, you know, it tends to get us out of the office, out of the plant, out of whatever your normal nine to five job is and get us into the woods. And we're very thankful for that. So we're blessed to have that opportunity. So it was no different for me. Um, I took a vacation right around Thanksgiving holiday. And, uh, you know, we I had an 11 day stretch where I was off. And I usually butt that time up and take that vacation right at the beginning of the waterfowl start uh, in the E zone. So, you know, a lot of my history has been spent hunting the E zone here in Louisiana. I grew up in Evangeline Parish, as most of you know. Um, and I was, I was literally on the borderline growing up whenever they had different zoning. Uh, Highway 167, which runs right through my hometown, was the dividing line for the east and west zones back when I was growing up. So what was pretty cool is I could be on one side of the road where my parents' home was, and I could hunt the east zone, or I'm sorry, the west zone, and then I could literally cross the highway and I would be in the west zone of Highway 167, which is a major highway that runs all the way up to Arkansas. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, a lot of my experience through the years was in the East Zone. Um, we had a camp up at, uh, you know, Woodson's Landing, which is uh, right next to Dewey Wheels, WMA. Um, we had a camp there for almost 20 years. We did a lot of waterfowl hunting up there, which is located right next to Catahoula Lake. Um, so a lot of good waterfowl hunting in that area. We had a lot of success over the years in that area. Um, and then once I moved down south, I went to school and I moved to Baton Rouge. I started learning and cutting my teeth on a lot of the uh, southern part of Louisiana. So, uh, But as public land hunters, we talk about this all the time. You have to be very versatile. Uh, you know, you have to be able to move around where the ducks are. And over the last couple of years, with it being as tough of it, as tough as it has been for public land hunting, and just duck hunting in general in Louisiana, it's been on a decline. We've talked about that. Um, you know, I, I have made a decision heading into this year um, that I, I just was I was going to stay mobile. I was going to find the ducks. I was going to try to make the best hunts I could. And I was going to eliminate those days where I didn't bring home any ducks. Um, and, and that's really what we did uh, first split. So I tried to stick to that game plan. Not that I'm, I'm not talking about necessarily limits of ducks every day. We've talked about this before as well. You know, a successful day nowadays on public land here in Louisiana doesn't necessarily mean it's a two, three man limit. You know, um, it could be a successful day could now look like, you know, four or five, six birds, you know, um, whenever we're not getting a big migration and we're not getting a big push of birds. So, you know, Success in my eyes now has changed, um, you know, over the years. Well, I've mentioned before in previous episodes that back in the day, um, you know, if I didn't have a limit or my group of friends that I hunted with, we didn't have a, a two or three man limit, that it was a failure. That's the way we kind of looked at it. Um, as we've gotten older and things have changed, you have to adapt. You have to change with it. Uh, you know, Nate made a really good point from last, uh, you know, from uh, Fallen Tide TV last week that was on the show with us. Nate said, you know what? It's not the days of old. We have to adjust. You have to accept the way they are nowadays. And you have to make the best of the, the days that we have now in the field in the uh, ways that they have changed over the years. 
And he that's a really good point because that's something that I totally agree with him on. Um, well, you just have to look at it, you know, in a different light than we used to look at it. For those of us, especially the, the generations that had a taste of those good old days when it was really just on fire, you know. And, it, and, and we like to think of it as, oh, the good old days were on fire. It was really, really good. But, you know, when you stop and think about it, that really it was not always the case. You know, that wasn't always the case. It wasn't like every year was just a stellar year, you know. Uh, I know our memories trigger us back to those those days where we had those those you know great hunts where you have exceptional memories and just those those fond memories of the you know those real good hunts with your grandfather or with your, your parents or maybe a couple of hunting buddies you know but in the grand scheme of it we had bad days and bad years back then as well you know um, whether it was ten years ago it was you know 15 20 years ago so the bad days have always been around. The bad years have always been around. Um, we just, as as hunters and as outdoorsmen, try, you know, we always tend to remember the better days, and you always think it was better back then than it is today. Now, have the numbers changed? Have the amount of hunters declined? That's what the statistics show us. You know, that's what everybody's saying according to the numbers. Um, you know, um, organizations like Delta Waterfowl, like, you know, um, Ducks Unlimited, the two big ones out there, they catch a lot of heat. A lot of people are not happy with these organizations and they want to blame these organizations, you know, for the decline in, in what they're seeing as far as waterfowl and what they're harvesting every year. But in the grand scheme of things, I really think it's for the best. I really do think that, you know, these organizations are doing their best that they can to, you know, make sure that we have waterfowl around for generations to come. Just look, at, if you look at the history of it, you will see that there are statistics that point and lead to that. So, you know, I'm not one of the guys that are on the bashing of water, Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited. You know, um, do they do everything right? No, I don't think they do everything right. But do they do everything wrong to hurt hunters? No, I, I also do not see it that way. Um, and that's a whole nother topic for another day that we could discuss if you guys would want to discuss that. But my point is, is I think that they are doing, you know, the best that they can to, you know, further waterfowl production along the path of having waterfowl for generations to come. Um, and, and I truly believe that deep down in my heart. So us as the hunters, we have to adapt. We have to adapt to changing conditions. Uh, you know, different agricultural practices up and down the flyways that we hunt. Um, and a lot, a lot of different factors play into it, you know, but we have to, we have to adjust. We have to adapt. And, you know, what used to be a, what, what we remember as a great day in the blind may not be or translate to the same definition nowadays. So that's my point I'm trying to make. So, with that being said, like I, I mentioned, I wanted to adapt. I wanted to be able to stay mobile. Um, I have several friends that or guys that, you know, friends of mine that don't waterfowl hunt and don't duck hunt. And they, they always ask me, you know, they say, man, you know, we see what you do, what you, what you, how you hunt, um, you know, and what y'all do hunting public land. You know, now you're getting a little older and, you know, wouldn't it be easier just to get a lease, you know? And the answer to that or my answer to that is always, yeah. Yeah, it would be easier to get a lease. I used to be in leases when I was growing up back home, you know, rice field leases and, and you know, stuff like that. We had a lot of agriculture in our area. 
but the thing is, is that's not a guarantee by any means that you're going to have birds. And, you know, the cost on leases nowadays have gone up so much that they've, they've got to where they're just outrageous on the price of them, you know, now. So you have to have a core group of buddies to go in and split it with. Or, you know, you have to have a really, really solid area that holds a lot of birds year in and year out to be able to boot that money and uh, and pay for a lease or a blind that uh, is, you know, going to, you know, make it worth your while uh, in killing ducks. That's just the way it is. So what I find is I look at the other flip side of the coin. You know, I've been public land hunting for a long time. Um, the good thing about public land hunting is that you can stay versatile. You're not, you know, you don't feel that obligation. Oh, I'm paying, you know, $7,000 for this lease or whatever the price may be. Um, man, I got to hunt this block. You know, I need to, I need to get my money's worth out of that. Um, that's the great thing about going public, you know, because you can stay versatile. You can move around. Um, you know, you can go where the birds are. If they're not here, they're not holding to a specific area then you can move and you could go where they are in a specific area. So that's a, that's the number one advantage of hunting public land, in my opinion, uh, staying versatile. The downside to that or the flip you know, side to that is that you have to put up with a lot of headaches. It's a lot of early mornings, real early mornings. You know, um, it's first come, first serve on public land. So you guys know that, that listen to this show. You, you probably are a public land hunter, but the majority of you. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that comes with the territory. Having to, you know, get in line early, uh, have all your stuff ready to go, you know, leaving at one in the morning, two in the morning, that type of deal. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a grind. It will wear on you. And I can tell you that now since I'm in my 40s, I feel it more and more every year. It's, it's a little tougher, but I have that drive still to keep doing it because it keeps me versatile. Um, so I enjoy it. It's just something that I enjoy. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things. For me, it's the challenge that keeps me going with it. Um, so that's what we did, guys. The first split of this season. Overall, when I sit today, which is now we are December 5th, uh, Monday, the day after the split closed. Um, I hunted yesterday, me and Jackson together, my oldest son. We hunted yesterday. Um, when I look back at it, and me, him and I talked about it yesterday as we wrapped up our hunt, we said, you know what? Overall, we have been very pleased with the way the first split went for us. Um, it's probably one of our better first splits that we've had in the last couple of seasons. Um, was it, was it a, a, you know, does that mean we limited out every hunt? Like I mentioned, no, it doesn't. Um, but we were able to put birds together on a strap every hunt we hunted except for one. We had one scratch in the first split. Um, you know, I got my start for the season. Um, I mentioned East Zone a while ago. We usually open up our season in the East Zone. Um, I was invited on a hunt with one of my good friends um, that hunts the Coastal Zone or what you would call this year, I think they're determined the East Zone, actually. So, he said, hey, look, I hunt the East Zone. He says, I have a, a, a Monday. He says that I don't have anybody to hunt with. If you want to come down with me, he says, I'd like to take you down to the coast. We'll hunt the marsh. I said, yep, yeah, I'm in because I'm off on Mondays this time of year, so it worked out perfectly for me. 
So I got a, I got an early jump on my duck season by taking that trip with him and getting to go down and hunt the marsh with him. So we headed down to the coastal marsh here in South Louisiana, uh, and we had a really good hunt. That opening hunt, or I say a really good hunt. We had a good hunt. Let me say that. Um, we ended up putting together a strap of, of gadwall, um, and we had a couple of model ducks is what we ended up um, putting on the strap that day. So we, we started out uh, my first hunt of the season, got to kill some birds, got to kind of get my, you know, my idea of what was around as far as species of birds were around in the marshes. Um, so just had a good time, man. I was very blessed to be able to go with him, and, and I thank him for inviting me to take that trip. Uh, got got some shooting in ahead of my opener, my scheduled opener in the East Zone, and uh, and when we were looking, me and Jackson were looking at the East Zone. Over the last couple of years, we've uh, we've taken a trip up to Central Louisiana, right around Marksville, Louisiana. Uh, we have a good friend of ours, David Lamont. David's been on the show with us before on the podcast, and uh, usually we take a trip up to his place, which butts up to a wildlife management area. Uh, right around Marksville, Louisiana. It's a very good area, not too far from where we uh, we had a camp at for many years with Dewey Wheels, Catahoula, all those areas. About 30 minutes north is those areas from where he is. So we talked back and forth. Uh, David and I had been talking back and forth. He's a he's a veteran, military veteran, so he, he was able to take an, uh, advantage of the military uh, opportunity the same weekend as youth hunting. Uh, opened up in the east zone and he said hey i'll have a really good idea of what the birds are doing and what birds we have he said i'm gonna let you know he said and if we have some birds we'll get you guys to come on up he said and we'll, we'll you know hunt open a weekend so he said okay i said sounds good that's that's a great idea so he hunted on that veterans day that youth day and i think they shot one gadwall if i remember right he told me so he called me and he said look he says uh Man, we just didn't see a whole lot, not a whole lot of migration. He said uh, we had pretty decent conditions. It was cool. It was sunny uh, on days that they typically do really well, you know, those type of conditions where he's at. And he said, uh, he said, but we just didn't see a lot of birds. He said, so I'll keep you posted uh, through the next couple of days. I'm going to ride out, you know, to the lake and check things out. He said, just see if any activity increases. So as the week went on, he followed up with me and uh, he said, man, he said, we're just not seeing a whole lot. I hope for the opener we have more birds than what I'm seeing so far. So at that point, after talking to him, I looked at Jackson and him and I talked about it. And I told him, I said, you know what? I said, uh, I said, we might not make the trip up there. I said, I'm not going to drive up there if we not hope, you know, having birds, because although we love the companionship and the company, of going to see our buddy, we have other opportunities to drive up there throughout the season, whether it's the first split or the second split. And we're going to make a trip up there to hunt because it's an area we like to hunt. And uh, and and he's a good friend of ours. So we're going to go up there and spend some time with him this season. But I said, we don't have to feel obligated to go open a weekend and, uh, and you know, drive two hours north to try to maybe kill some birds or take a chance. I said, we have a camp right here in the Chafalaya Basin, right here located next to Sherman Wildlife Management Area. Um, we can hunt Indian Bayou, which is right around the Henderson area. We can hunt the management area, uh, which we're very familiar with. We have years of experience in there. And like I mentioned, over the last couple of years, we haven't hunted our camp, our, that area, the management area at Sherman, 
because we've been heading up north and, and hunting a couple of different areas just to take some trips and uh, and meet some friends. So I told him, I said, we have all of our accommodations right here to camp. I said, why don't we just stay close to home? We'll hunt the camp this year. And uh, we've always traditionally done really well opening a weekend for public hunting. Uh, hunting, you know, we've done really well at, in our camp area. So he said, okay, dad, he said, let's do that. Um, so what we did is we decided to stay around. We, uh, we, we left on Friday. We went up to the camp and we set up everything. And what I'm trying to eliminate over the last couple of years, you know, when I was younger, I'd take my boat. I'd go riding the day before or a couple of days before. I'd take my boat and I, I'd go scouting or what I termed or what I thought was scouting. But as I've gotten older and I've seen the pressure that these birds and these, you know, these, these public land areas get, I've tried to back off of that as we get closer to the opener. And I've talked about that and I've told other younger hunters tips of what I've seen help, you know, don't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean I'm correct on that, but I've, in my opinion, I've found that obviously less pressure, let the birds stay, let them rest, let them be in their natural habitat that they're, you know, act the way they want to act in their natural habitat, especially several days before the season opens. And you typically going to have more success. So we didn't, we didn't go out riding when we got there that Friday. Uh, we stayed at the camp. We got our stuff prepped and ready, our decoys. Um, and what we decided to do was we were going to hunt this specific area, uh, which was a little ways away from, uh, you know, where most of the pressure in the wildlife management area tends to get. We didn't want to fight that fight. I knew there would be guys that were getting there early in line, 11 o'clock, you know, that day before or maybe in that evening. And, I, you know, as I'm getting older, guys, I didn't want to sleep in my truck. I didn't want to play that game. Uh, you know, to take a gamble and maybe kill a couple of birds. So I said, you know what? We're going to hit this other area where we've had success on opening weekend, and we're going to go there. Uh, it's typically an area that we have killed quite a bit of teal early in the season, especially with the conditions the way they were. The conditions were low water conditions in this area. Uh, it was basically what we were going to have to do was pull in and get to this backwater area, and we were going to, you know, stake out the boat, walk down the bank, and we were going to conceal ourselves along the bank and, and hunt off the bank. That's how low the water was in this particular area that we were going to hunt open a weekend. And that's what we did. We stuck to that game plan. We went we went open in the morning, and, uh, and that morning when it broke right around shooting time, there was hardly any wood duck activity, which our area over there has a lot of wood ducks typically. Uh, didn't have no wood duck flight. We saw, I think, maybe five wood ducks early on and just no no birds. There was no flight, you know. And uh, I told Jackson immediately, I said, you know what? I said, we in, we in for a bad hunt here. I said, because it's not going to be real good. There's just no flight. And uh, very disappointed. You guys who went through that opening weekend, you, you know how that feeling is to be disappointed like that. Uh, you know, and once again, I was going off of, the history that I had there, I was going off of the uh, conditions that I saw there. We had scouted weeks ahead of time. We looked at the water conditions, the water levels. Uh, we jumped up, you know, some some wood ducks. But this particular area is it's, it's kind of funny. You don't house a lot of birds there um, that are just hanging out there. It's an area that once the shooting starts, when it opens up in other areas, ag fields that are around there, 
uh, Indian bayous, another area I mentioned a while ago. When those areas start shooting, it's right along the Chafalaya River. It pushes a lot of those birds off of those areas and into the reserve where we are, and that's where you're typically going to have your success once they push in. Well, open a weekend, we didn't have that. We didn't see the success that we had had in the past. That's actually our worst opening weekend at our camp that we've ever had. Uh, so we were very, very disappointed. Opening morning, we ended up killing one bird. That's what we shot. We shot one bird, which was a dogree, which is odd for that area. We don't kill a lot of dogree in that area. So that afternoon, or I'm sorry, after that morning hunt, when we left opening morning and we left that first hunt, we were headed back to the camp with our tails tucked between our legs. And I had a friend that I crossed on the road, and he flagged me down, and he stopped me. And this particular friend, he lives he lives right along the Chafalaya River where our camp's at. And he uh, he stopped. He told me, he said, did y'all have any luck? I said, no. I said, we killed one duck. Worst opening morning we've had here that I can remember. And he said, man, he said, all the ducks were sitting on the river. He said, right behind our camps. And I said, really? He says, yep. He says, they're sitting. I was watching them just fly this morning and land on the river. Now, this is something that's not uncommon. We've noticed this over the last several years that the ducks use these big rivers, obviously, as main highways. We've known this for years, you know, but we have seen a lot of birds rafting up in the rivers, uh, especially in the Chafalaya River where we are, and we've thought of ideas to hunt them. One of our guys in the camp tried hunting them last year, and it's just, it's tough. You have to have a complete setup for swift water hunting, you know, deep water decoys, strings. Uh, you got to hope that you have big enough weights to hold them in the river. We try hunting sandbars, you know, getting a little bit shallower. But when you got, you know, X amount of decoys and you're competing against 100 to 500 to 1,000 birds rafted up in the middle of the river, it makes it really, really tough to compete with that. So it's, it's, it's a gamble. So it's a lot of work for just a small chance at success. And not to mention you shoot a bird – it's two miles down the river by the time, you know, it hits the water. You have to jump in the boat every time, go down the river. So it makes it really hard. So what we decided, we said we're going to – we knew a couple of backwater areas. We said we're going to go down the river that afternoon, and we're going to look at a couple of sandbars because the river is so low right now. And we're thinking maybe on some of these sandbars on the other side where the reserve is, there's some, some you know, bore pit ponds and stuff like that. We're going to go, we're going to look for some birds in those areas because if they're in those bar pits and they're utilizing those bar pits by flying off of the river when the barges come up, pressure starts shooting, you know, that type of stuff, then we might be able to stake out there and have much more success in these little ponds off of the river. So we went with a couple of buddies that afternoon. We took off down the Chafalaya River, headed north towards Crot Springs, Louisiana, and we immediately started jumping up hundreds of birds, hundreds of birds. And as we go, we jump up more flocks of birds, jump it up. And we literally saw thousands of ducks on the river that afternoon. And what it was is exactly what I said. They were rafting up in the center of the river, uh, you know, and they were utilizing the river. They just weren't utilizing the reserve, which is why nobody was killing big numbers of birds in the reserve. On opening morning, at Sherburn Management Area, where our camp's at, if you talk to the majority of hunters that had any kind of success whatsoever, they're going to tell you that their success came off of the wood ducks. So that's something that Sherburn has always been known for, wood ducks, you know. 
And that's almost a guarantee for the most part, depending on where you hunt at in the reserve. And most of the guys that had some success or what they termed as success that day was from filling their bag limits with wood ducks, which is great. Nothing against wood ducks. Trust me, I love wood ducks hunting just as much as the next guy does. But the sad thing is there was not a lot of other species of birds. The gadwall, the teal didn't show up. You know, you didn't have any kind of mallard movement. You didn't have just nothing. I mean, it, it was pretty much wood ducks. And a couple of people had shot dogri, which we had shot a dogri, which was uncommon for the area. Well, when I realized that afternoon we were riding the river, we were jumping up these you know, massive flocks of birds. A lot of the birds that we saw were dogries in that area that were utilizing that river. And I guess going to different areas, just that's their highway they were using. So we jumped up some, we, we jumped up a lot of dogri in that area that afternoon. We jumped up some gadwall um, from what we saw that we could, you know, identify. And we jumped up one or two small flocks of teal, not a whole lot of teal, which is, you know, not real. Co- you know, usually teal or in that area, they utilize that area quite often, especially for the opener. So they must have not shown up to that area for opening weekend uh, when we were there. Not quite yet, at least. Um, so we decided, we said, okay, we checked out these oxbows that were on the other side of the sandbars. They were holding water, but there wasn't a single duck on them. We, we did some walking in. We scouted them out. Just uh, just nothing. There wasn't no birds. There wasn't no feathers. Uh, you know, just didn't see nothing. They didn't have any activity from any other hunters that we noticed. Um, so we said, okay, well, this is, this is a lot of work to not have any kind of birds sitting in here. So we're not going to do this. We're going to rule this out. So we ruled that out, that idea out. And we said, okay, the next day we're just going to go and we're going to try to, uh, you know, hunt in the reserve one more time in a different area and see what we could come up with. So we got there that morning. We were probably the eighth or ninth person in line, which I knew all the better holes would be taken at that point. So we decided to settle for a little hole off of a, uh, uh, off of a area that we really hadn't scouted. We didn't know what it was going to look like. We cut, we gambled. That's what we did. Um, when we got back there and we started making our way back to this specific hole that we wanted to hunt, it was it absolutely blew my mind how overgrown it was with Salvania. So I was very disappointed as we're going in. Obviously, didn't feel very confident seeing all that. The holes that were once open and even last year were open, they were covered in Salvania. It looked like it was it was land, basically. So I tried, you know, kicking up, you know, some open water with my mud motor. Um, and I went out there. I tried to open up a hole. And as soon as I would open it up, it would close back. And I told Jackson, I said, we're just going to make the best of it. We're going to hunt. That morning, it was cloudy. It was foggy. Um, we didn't have any birds working into the hole. Obviously, they would come. They would kind of come over the treetops where we were in the timber. They would kind of look at the hole and just roll on by, um, and they would head off somewhere else. But it was all wood ducks. It was all wood ducks that morning, a big flight of wood ducks that morning. Um, but nothing worked the hole where we could get a good shot at shooting it. So I told Jackson, I looked at him. He looked at me. We were planning on staying a couple of days because we were on vacation. Uh, And I told him, I said, we need to make a move now. I said, we need to leave, pack our stuff up. I said, and we need to head down to the coast to the marshes. I said, go do some hunting down there. He said, yeah, dad. He said, I'm all for it. He said, I don't want to sit here and waste our time and not kill nothing. So that's what we did, guys. So we, uh, we went down for that Monday, I think it was that Monday, uh, after opening weekend in the East Zone, we uh, we quickly 
move to the marsh, you know, after having little su- success or no success opening weekend in the timber. So that's what we did, guys. And, uh, you know, once we got to the marshes, what I noticed in the first split is that we were blessed enough during that 11-day span where I was off of work. They had several fronts hit that week. And I was lucky enough to be able to be off to where I could hunt whatever day I wanted to hunt. And what we were doing, we pretty much we were hunting one day, we would take a day off, we'd hunt another day, take a day off. Just to rest, just to recoup, get our equipment straight, and then we'd go on another hunt. But we pretty much stayed down in South Louisiana for the remainder of the first split. I never have been back to the camp yet. Uh, I've talked to a couple of guys, and it's just the same reports. Wood ducks, not a whole lot showed up, uh, which they will, but they haven't yet, it seems like, in the first split. So for those of you guys that are hunting the timber, hunting that general area, uh, you know, you may not have had the best first split, but some of you may have. You may have you may have that X, that, that hole that's the, on the X, and you got some birds in there. But overall majority, the timber, the central part of the state, uh, my buddy up around Marksville I talked to, I talked to David, uh, one of the worst first splits he's had in his area where he hunts. And traditionally, he does really well first split where he's at up around Marksville. Um, it wasn't a good first split. Now, I talked about moving to the marsh, being lucky enough to hunt some of these fronts. We were very blessed. What I can tell you guys from being in the field, first split, is that front days where you get a south wind, a south wind that seems to kind of warm up, not a cold front day so much, but a, a warm front, what I call a warm front, a day like today. Today, it's almost 80 degrees here, um, you know, sitting in Gonzales in my, in my home here in Gonzales today. When we hunted yesterday, Jackson and I, uh, it was it was warm. It was fog. Um, we had to wait for the fog to lift until 9 o'clock yesterday morning before we, we had, you know, a little bit of success um, with certain species of birds. But those warm front days where you get that wind shift out the south, you get cloud cover. That tended, that was that was tending or trending to be the better days that we killed birds on. Um, you know, days where the sun was up and shining and it was cold, down in the marshes where we were, it really wasn't as successful as the days that we caught a lot of cloud cover and warmer winds, south winds blowing in. Not that we didn't shoot some birds when we had those cold fronts come through, but uh, but it just saying it was better on those south wind days for sure. So that's something I could share with you guys that helped us to, you know, kill some birds first split. South wind, cloudy days, it seems to be getting those birds active. They were moving. More birds showed up. I don't know if they were coming from the Gulf Coast, moving back inland. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, but those days tend to be a little bit better. Um Coastal marshes, you know, we went down to the coastal marshes, like I mentioned. Uh, I can tell you species, and I'm looking at my notes as, I, as I'm talking, guys. I wrote this stuff down just to share with you. Uh, but species that we were seeing in the coastal marshes, as we went closer to the coast, first split, gadwall was the name of the game. If you're looking for the gadwall, and maybe you usually have gadwall show up in your specific area, and you don't have them showing up first split, they're down in the marshes. I can tell you firsthand, 
We killed Gadwall down in the coastal marshes. Uh, teal, green wing teal, blue wing teal. A lot, of, a lot of blue wing teal still around right now. Every year we see more and more blue wing teal because it doesn't seem to get as cold as it used to. So blue wing teal are still around. Green wings have shown up. They hear one day, they're gone the next day. That's just how green wing teal are, guys. They're not going to stick around an area for a long time. Uh, once again, in the coastal marshes, bufflehead. We killed. We had a hunt. If you go to our YouTube channel, me and Jackson shot a, a, a group of bufflehead. We had two groups of bufflehead come in when we were hunting the coastal marsh, uh, and that's something that I'm not accustomed to shooting. You know, we don't get a lot of bufflehead where we hunt normally. But like I mentioned, we adapted this year. We're trying to go where the birds are. So that day, we had bufflehead working in. Uh, and Morganzas, a lot of hooded Morganzas this year. Uh, I don't know if it's just because of where we hunt in the marshes. We're staying south. We're seeing way more Morganzas, which is probably the case. It makes sense, you know, because they, they're, they're dive. They like to eat fish. Nasty-ass hooded Morganzas. I, I got one in the freezer right now. I killed a Drake hooded Morganza this year. That was absolutely beautiful. And I said, you know what? I said, uh, I've never mounted one. I've seen some mounted before, I said, and they make a pretty mount. I said, I might mount one. So I literally had a Drake and a hen land in the decoys. And I looked I looked at my buddy I was hunting with, and he looked at me, and I said, oh, we're going to leave them. That's, you know, those nasty things alone. And it, they were sitting there looking around, and I, about a minute goes by, and I told him, I said, you know what? I said, screw it. I said, I'm going to go ahead and mount one of these things. This thing's gorgeous, this Drake. And I stood up and I shot and I popped it. I water swatted them and I got them. Um, and sure enough, beautiful birds. So I got it. I'm, I, in case I decide to mount it, I want to mount it, which that's my plans too. I've talked to a taxidermist that I got to be friends with. And uh, he said he would mount it for me. It makes a pretty mount. So we're going to go ahead and uh, probably mount that, that Drake hooded Morganza. But uh, a lot of hooded Morganzas, man, this year. It seems like they, uh, they tend to show up every hunt. So uh, now, all you guys that have been hunting, you know, the brackish and freshwater marshes, um, you know, we've done some hunting in some brackish marshes, brackish slash freshwater marshes for a split. Uh, it's a completely different ball game there as far as species that we see. Uh, I can tell you, in my opinion, your freshwater brackish marshes have been the most uh, productive as far as different species. Um you know, what species are showing up? Well, uh, you're getting everything, guys. You're getting a lot of great puddle ducks. If you can find those shallow water marshes that have fresh water with nice grass growing up in it, uh, we have shot blue wing teal. We've shot green wing teal. Uh, yesterday we shot mallards, but we have seen mallards that, you know, not necessarily worked us, but are in the area. We've had friends of ours that have hunted that have shot mallards which is a great sign to see the mallards showing up early this year. Uh, so that's a good thing. Pintail, I have a story about pintail. I have, man, you know, we don't get a lot of pintail traditionally in the areas that we hunt over the last probably five, six years unless we travel and go somewhere on public land. So pintail is kind of our unicorn. Uh, last week, before I went back to work, I had, I had two birds that I saw. I called at them. They turned around. They came to us. And when they got above the hole, I told Jackson, I said, oh, my God. I said, it's pintail. And he's he he's like, oh, okay. He got all excited, you know. And, guys, 
I worked these two pintail perfectly into the spread. I got them to cup up, feet down, and come at us. And I got so excited, I was literally shaking. That was my bird I wanted to kill because I was going to mount that, that Drake pintail. He was gorgeous. And I pulled up, and I did what you never want to do. I heard the shot, never got a good beat on him, and I took three shots, and I missed them. And I was sick with myself. I mean, look, I'm not perfect. I miss. I miss shots. Uh, you know, there's guys that are better wing shooters than I am that I hunt with sometimes or I've hunted with. I had these deco I had these birds right here in my face, and I was literally shaking. I was so excited that I pulled up and I rushed the shot to get them, and I missed the shots. And, and there's nothing you can say after that. But I have been talking about that that scenario with my buddy and my son Jackson, who laughs at me every day now. We talk about it because I tell him I say. I ever told you a story about the time that I had two pintails. He's like, shut up. I'm sick of hearing the story. But I was so disgusted that I literally had to sit down and I called my best friend, who's a, a, a one, you know, big waterfowl hunt enthusiast, and he's working. He couldn't hunt, you know, so he has it worse than I did, actually, you know, because he came and hunt, be hunting, you know, this first split because he's working a lot. And I told him, I said, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you what happened. And he just listened to me, and he laughed, and we laughed about it. And I said, I had a chance, and we don't get it often. I said, nah, I fucked it up. I said, I, sc I screwed the pooch on that one. So, yeah, so I did see Pintail that hunt. Yesterday, we had a big group of Pintail workers in the uh, freshwater marshes where we hunted yesterday. Uh, I had probably 10 or 12 of them that gave us a look. They passed six or seven times outside of shooting range, but looking at the decoys, looking at the flappers, uh, and just didn't didn't want to commit. We stayed quiet. We stayed still. We did everything right. We didn't call at them, and they just didn't want in. You know, they were weary. So they, they had probably, you know, been through it before. So, but the, the point of the story is we're seeing them. So that's a good thing. So you know, pintail. I know some guys, some of you that have hunted the freshwater marshes have shot pintail. So that's a great thing to see early on. Uh, and gadwall, guys, gadwall in the freshwater marshes. We shot a few gadwall so far. Uh, we've seen some groups of gadwall. I can tell you this, and this is just some advice. This is what I've experienced from what I've seen over the last few weeks, is that the smaller groups are the groups of birds that you, that you want to focus in on. Uh, when you get a group of 8, 10, 12 or more, yes, it's it's exciting. It'll get you pumped up. It'll get you jacked. It'll get you excited to, to pull that trigger and draw them in and shoot. The problem is, and, and this is just my experience over the years, is that when you get those large groups on these days where the weather's stale, uh, you know, and it's not optimal conditions or you have maybe a light to no wind, um, you know, or they've just been around the block and they've seen every decoy spread from Canada on down. Then they're real smart, guys. Those birds are educated. They will not work. It's harder to get those birds to work in on those days when they're in big groups of birds. As compared to when you get those doubles or, you know, those pairs of birds or those three or four birds coming in or maybe even up to six. It could be, you know, a group up to six. 
Those birds, we have had more luck working those birds and getting higher success rates on the shots, better shots, <clears throat> not having the sky bust, um, you know, and just having better success. On That's the point I'm trying to make on the smaller groups. So when you see those small groups, guys, try to get those birds. That's the ones you want to call at. That's the ones you want to work in. Try calling. Try getting those birds because I promise you, you probably will have more success with those groups, those small groups. And as we get into the second split, it's going to it's gonna be even more because you're going to get the more educated birds. They're going to be you know stale. A lot of the groups that come in, especially if they're in a big group, they should start pairing off. They should start getting into smaller groups. And that's the, the ones that you want to you want to you know work on. Uh, and you always hear theories on oh call less, less decoys, you know all that type of stuff. It varies, in my opinion. It varies from day to day what they want. We don't know what they want. You taking a gamble when you put out a decoy spread, whether or not you put out the flappers or spinners or motion decoys, it's a gamble. Whether or not you put out two dozen decoys versus twelve decoys, it's a gamble. You know, it really is because I've had success both ways throughout the whole year. I've had days where you don't have success and you come up with every excuse in the book to, to try to figure out why you didn't have success or why that group of birds didn't want to work in your hole. You know, when we had those pintails come over yesterday, Jackson immediately, <clears throat> he's 13 or he's going to be 13 here in January. He's, he's in the beginning stages of his duck hunting career. He immediately told me, so that they don't like the flappers. Well, we had a group of teal, two groups of teal. We had a couple of mallards, and we had a couple of model ducks we killed yesterday that liked the spread. They liked the motion decoys. Didn't bother them. So, you know, it varies. And I told them that. I said it's not necessarily that they didn't like the flappers or, you know, they didn't like the decoys. Um, they just might have seen it before. You know, they might have seen that scenario. They might have not liked something that else that they saw around us. Um, you know, it could be anything. You guys know how it is. So I'm trying to teach you that, hey, don't doubt yourself. Go with what the best thing is that you've learned over the years from your experience. Trust your instincts. You know, look at your weather conditions and make that judgment and stick with it. You know, it's not always going to be, you know, great, but it's not always going to be a failure either. You're going to have good days just as much as you will failures, you know. So I can tell you that our success, once again, it's an opinion that we've had for a split, smaller groups of decoys we've put out. Uh, we have had better, or I say better, I can't tell you better because I haven't put out large, large spreads of decoys, but I've kind of tried to match what I've seen in the areas that we've hunted. <clears throat> I'm not seeing big, large, large groups of birds, like I mentioned. A group of eight or nine or maybe, you know, 20 teal, that's about the biggest groups of birds that we've seen. We haven't seen those big groups of 25, 30, 40, 50 of them. Um, and that's just what I haven't experienced. Excuse me, guys. I'm taking a sip of water. So we've stuck with smaller spreads first split, and it seems to have worked out. I haven't had birds flaring off of the decoys. They either work or they don't work. That's kind of been what it's been. Uh, it's not that they're trying to work and they're flaring off because they see something that's, you know, not right. Uh, but the smaller spreads for us is what we've been matching to the areas we've been hunting. 
Uh, motion decoys, I have been using flappers for the most part. Uh, you know, mo two lucky ducks, traditional spinners is what I've been using. Uh, maybe a couple of water motion decoys, one or two, but I'm not putting out the full arsenal of motion decoys that I have and that I have used and had success on in the past. Uh, I'm keeping it kind of simple in, you know, comparison to the size spread. And more importantly, I'm matching the species of birds that I'm seeing in the areas I'm hunting. So what I mean by that is I'm not putting out all Drake mallard decoys. I'm not putting out all teal decoys. If you look at our spread that we hunted the first split in the areas where we hunt, we're utilizing pintail, blue winged teal, green winged teal, mallards, and gadwall. That's the, that's the majority of what we're using because guess what, guys? That's what we're seeing out in the field where we are. When I tell you what we saw in, in these areas we hunted, those species I mentioned, that's what we got in our spread. Uh, we also put coots. That's a big thing that I like to use now. It's a confidence bird. If you're in an area that has a lot of grass, guys, uh, and you see coots in your area, those black coots that everybody talks about and laughs at and don't want to kill, they trash birds, except for my boys down in, on the bayous down in Racing Thibodeau. Got a lot of friends who love coots, and they love to eat coots, and they know how to cook coot, and it's delicious. So if you have coot in your area, do yourself a favor. Go out. Get you a half dozen or a dozen coot decoys that you can pick up at any academy. Academy is the one place that carries coot decoys uh, on a regular basis. Go out, get you some coots, some confidence birds, throw them out on the edge of the grass line where you're hunting at. And I find a lot of times when we get birds to decoy, we're not ready and they come dive bomb into the decoys, they will land next to those coots, believe it or not. It, you know, growing up, the old timers, my grandfather and them, they would paint two liter, you know, milk jugs or, or I'm sorry, half gallon milk jugs and two liter Coke jugs black. And I remember him saying that they look like coots. They look like coots. And uh, the birds love to land with the coots. And you know what? They're right. They were right the whole time. They do love to land with coots. So a confidence bird, that's something that you can put in your spread that I, I think will help you guys. Uh, it's helped us. I can tell you that they will land next to those birds. I have a buddy I hunt with. He puts uh, one of those big blue herring. I think that's what it is. Those big tall birds that you see that are fishing along the shore. Uh, when you duck hunting out there, are you fishing? He put he bought a decoy that looks just like one of them big tall blue birds uh, that are fishing along the bank, and he has the stake for it, and he puts it along the bank next to his decoys. It makes sense. You know, I don't have it one yet. I'll probably get one. I might get two of them because thinking outside the box is what helps us. You know, it changes up what they see the typical decoy spread being, and it makes it look more natural, more realistic to what they used to see in, in their natural environment. So why not try? Uh, but yeah, he does that. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. You know, um, so better success. Cloudy days, south wind, that's what's been successful, first split for us. Smaller groups of decoys have been better for us, but once again, that's just because of, you know, what we've seen in our area. You may be in a, a big open water area that has tons of birds sitting on it. Big spreads will probably be better in that situation. Uh, and cover up, guys, that's the one thing we talk about all the time. You've heard us talk about 
Cover up the blinds. If you're in a boat blind, we hunt out of a boat blind most times. Cover it up. Have your brush. You know, <clears throat> especially over the top. That's where I fail sometimes is over the top. When you get those groups of gadwall, you get those groups of pintail, you get mallards working over the top of you, and you're in a boat blind and you're in a wide open area where it's you sit in the middle of the water and you think you brushed up. You know, I see a lot of people, and I've been guilty of it, They'll brush the hell up out the back. They'll brush it up on the front. But these birds, they come over you, and they work, and they're just looking. And you hear those gray ducks, man, 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 man. They're talking to each other back and forth because they're probably saying to each other, I see you, dumbass, from above, and I can see straight into your blind. You know, and I've been guilty of it. I, I've been busted like that bomb. How many times, I can't tell you. But cover up. I've been really trying to put cover on top of my blind. Uh, you know, break up that outline of the, of the blind. Make sure that you got cover up on top of you, something you could get in the shadows underneath it. Uh, that when, when they're slow rolling over your blind and they're looking and they're quacking at each other and communicating, that they don't necessarily see you. Or if you don't have that, just bend over and stay still as you as still as you can be. Let one guy in the group kind of be the lookout guy. When they get behind you, let him turn his head. And kind of look, I see too many people that hunt with me or my other buddies that I've hunted with. They do this. They turn their shoulders, you know, and they look around. They turn their whole body or two or three of them are all trying to find the birds behind them. And they will bust us every time when we do it, guys. So cover those blinds, you know, whether it's a boat blind, permanent blind, you hunt from the bank, make sure you got that brush because they are so educated. They're so smart. You know, Roland, my buddy, Roland Cortez, he always says they got the, the, a brain the size of a pea. <clears throat> he says, but that little pea absorbs a lot of information. It absorbs a lot of information. So just cover those blinds, guys. Stay concealed. So another cool thing that I did first split, guys, I, if y'all saw the video we posted on our channel the other night, uh, I had made a purchase last week that I'm excited about. Uh, I've been wanting to get a 20-gauge semi-automatic. I've never had a 20-gauge semi-automatic, uh, and I've been wanting to do some waterfowl hunting with it. Problem is, we don't see a lot of 20-gauges on the shelves nowadays. And if you are able to find them, you damn, it's near impossible to find ammunition right now for it. How hard has it been for you guys to find shotgun shells? If you don't have a stash from previous years, you're probably in a bond right now. I bet you this year... There's some of you guys out there right now that's probably shooting lead shot. Even though it's illegal, even though we're, you know we're not supposed to shoot it, you are probably close to being forced to shoot it if you're not already shooting it because you can't find shells anywhere. And that's the way it is. That's the way it's going down this season. It's been very, very tough to find shotgun shells. If I would have known last year what I was going to happen this year with shotgun shells, I had an opportunity to buy cases, several cases of the shells I like to shoot. And I would have bought them last year. I passed on a couple of them. I thought about buying them, and I should have bought them. I look back now, and I say, damn, Jacob, you, you're stupid. You didn't buy them. But, you know, working in the outdoor industry for so many years, I've been able to accumulate a pretty good stash, or what I thought was a pretty good stash, uh, of shells. But now i got Jackson coming up. Jackson's been shooting 410s. He can't get 410 shells anymore. He moved up to a 20-gauge. Now you can't get 20-gauge shells hardly anymore. And he wants a semi-automatic, so now we have him shooting my 12-gauge because it was, you know, we had shells for him. So we have him shooting one of my semi-automatics that I have 
just to kind of get him accommodated to a 12 gauge. And because we have shells for it, you know, we were running low 20 gauge shells. So I went out to my local Cabela's here in Gonzales and I found on the shelf a 20 gauge Stoger M3020 this week, semi automatic that I snatched up. And I was so excited I found that gun uh, that I went ahead and I, I made the deal on it and I got it. So uh, I went out, I patterned it here at home. I put some shells. Ironic enough, I was running low on 20 gauge shells, but I went to my local academy and I haven't seen 20 gauge shells on the shelves at academy in quite some time. I bought the gun on Monday. I go to academy to look for 12 gauge shells on Tuesday. And when I get there in the evening, this is probably 630 in the evening, I walk up to the shelves and there's three boxes of blindside Winchester uh, or I'm sorry, Winchester dry lock 20 gauge shells on the shelf. I don't know, guys. It was meant to be, I guess. I, I haven't seen 20 gauge on the shelf this year at any store around me. Uh, so I immediately snatched them up. If they would have had more, I would have bought them. But they had three boxes. I got those three. It was meant to be, I guess, for me to pattern this gun that I bought and be able to use it this season to hunt. So that's what I hunted with yesterday. Uh, we took – we had six birds that we killed yesterday on the strap, last day of the season uh, for the first split. Let me not say last day of the season, last day of the split. Um, and I shot the birds I shot with, with my brand-new 20-gauge Stoger yesterday and had a blast with it. It's lighter. It, it just swings well. I, I Man, I'm tickled to death, I have to say. I mean, I'm literally excited about it. I enjoyed that 20-gauge a lot yesterday. So I will be using it on more hunts this year just because I enjoyed it so much yesterday. So who knows? I mean, I may go to a 20 gauge, you know, in the down the road, I may go to a 20 gauge. I may like it better. Uh, I was shooting two and three quarter number two shot Winchester dry locks yesterday. And when I tell you, I absolutely devastated. We had a mallet I shot and uh, um, I shot one of the, uh, uh, the, uh, Model ducks. I'm sorry, guys. I shot a model duck, and when I tell you, they were probably 25, 30 yard shots, and I folded them. I, it was folded on the first shot. It was pretty cool. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I was shocked. My buddy was laughing at me when I told him I bought it. The day he's like, "Man, we have a hard enough killing them with 12 gauges. You gonna go to a 20 gauge?" And uh, I said, "Yeah." I said, "It's just something I I've been wanting to do for a while. I don't know why. I just enjoy. I like watching guys shoot 20 gauges at that waterfowl hunt." Several of you out there may waterfowl hunt. All of our children coming up typically shoot a 20 gauge to waterfowl hunt when they start out with us. So why not? You know, it's going to kill them. Uh, you know, so, but I wasn't sure with two and three quarter how that was going to work. Obviously, it worked well. When we cleaned those birds last night, those those number twos put big holes in that breast where I shot them at in the chest. And uh, I was, I was, I have to say, I was impressed. So, uh, looking forward to that, but that was a pickup that I shared with uh, all of you who follow us on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can go there and check out the video we posted, and uh, just a really cool deal, man. So uh, shells, like I mentioned, very hard to find. Y'all know that. Don't have to preach to you on that, guys. If you see them, you better snatch them up, and don't be greedy. You know, most of the stores are doing a good job of putting a limit on them. Uh, so you can only buy, you know, three boxes, four boxes, whatever it is, depending on the size of the store and where it is. Uh, and that's a good thing because it does give everybody an opportunity to get a little piece of the, the, the small pie that's left, you know. 
uh, that's out there. And it's going to be like that through the second split. I, like I said, you guys that are listening this week, I know damn well there's probably some of you out there that are close to shooting lead right now because you're going to go hunt. You're going to go hunt. You're just going to take that gamble on whether or not you get caught. And that's a big gamble, guys. You don't want to get caught shooting lead shot, trust me. And it's not like you could go and spend $50 and buy a box of bismuth because guess what? You can't get bismuth either. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out, you know, for some of you who are running low on ammunition. Uh, check those online stores. Check your local mom and pops. Those guys try to do their best to stock what they can too. So, uh, you know, and, and you support your local stores. So that's a great thing, you know, to do. Uh you know, guys, just in closing, I know we're getting close to our, our wrap-up time. We worked really hard this first split. I hope you guys enjoyed the content, whether it was the podcast or whether it was the videos on our YouTube channel, on our social media pages. Uh, Jackson and I made a goal this year that we were going to bring you guys more content, better content, and we're going to continue to grow this channel. We're going to continue to grow our podcast. Um, it's because of you guys that we have been able to grow at the pace that we have grown. And we're, we're, we're gaining steam in the YouTube market. We're getting more subscribers. Uh, you guys are sharing the videos with your friends, and we could not do it without you. We appreciate you so much. Um, it's great to be able to share content with other guys, uh, with other fellow hunters that are interested in our sport. And we want to continue doing that and educating uh, you know, new hunters that are coming to the sport to do it the right way. Um, you know, because I mentioned this last week, I feel like my generation missed. There was a gap where we missed out on a group of hunters that we just kind of turned our heads to because they were annoying or because we thought they weren't doing it right whenever they were showing up at the boat launches and they were showing up on public land to hunt areas that we had been hunting for years. Uh, but you know what I realized is that if they don't know the right way, they're not going to do it the right way. We have to continue teaching them. We have to take them on our wing. We have to share information with them, which is what I do every week with you guys right here on our YouTube channel and on our podcast. Uh, and I'm going to try to give you accurate information. I'm going to try to be as honest as I can with you. You know, I'm not going to lead you to the water and hole. You know, but I'm going to or I'm not going to take you directly to the water. hole. let me say that. But I'm going to lead you there and let you kind of make your way and, and put those pieces of the puzzle together to kind of have success in the field, um, you know, so that you have a good time and that your buddies that you hunt with have a good time. So uh, we have worked really hard to get you guys some content first split. We are going to continue second split, getting you guys content. If there's something that you want to see that we're not doing, uh, by all means, let us know. We'd love to hear from you guys. There's a lot of you that message us personally, uh, whether it's on the podcast, you hear something and you have an opinion, or it's on our YouTube channel or our Instagram or Facebook page. Uh, we enjoy bringing that content and sharing it with you guys because this is our passion. This is what I love to do. At 42 years old, guys, I'm as ate up with it as I was when I was 18 years old chasing wood ducks or chasing ducks in the rice fields growing up in Evangelical Parish. I'm more excited today because I have better technology. I have better equipment to hunt with. And it's it's just something that I'm made up with, guys. That's why I public land hunt. I, the pursuit 
of that chase and the companionship that I get through meeting other hunters is what drives us. And now I see it coming, you know, with Jackson coming up, I see it with him. And I have my seven-year-old son who's coming up that's not quite as interested yet, but I hope he's going to be as interested as we are in it uh, because they're the future generations coming up, and we got to teach them the right way. That's my point, you know. But uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, you know, I hope you all have a great kickoff to the second split. We have 12 days before we kick off second split here in Louisiana, guys. So you need to catch up on that rest. Put in some scouting time to have some success. If you didn't have a good first split, that's what you're going to have to do. Feet on the ground, do some scouting, you know, and, and just take some of these tips that I talked about from my experience first split. Not that it's the right way to do it. It's just what I experienced. It's opinions. Maybe some of that stuff we talked about in this episode is going to help you guys in the second split. We're going to continue to improve on the knowledge that we gathered from first split. I think it's going to be a better second split than we actually had first split. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm optimistic. But I think that we have the best yet to come, you know, for the second split. Um, I really do feel that way. I think we're going to have more birds show up, bigger numbers of birds show up, hopefully. If we could get, you know, the weather up north pushing these birds down, migrating us down, I think we're going to have some success second split, guys. At least I hope that's the case. So, y'all keep your heads up. If you had a good first split, congratulations. I know we're very thrilled with our first split, me and Jackson, for, you know, first split of Louisiana 2021. Uh, looking back at it, I can't complain one bit, not one bit. We stayed safe out there. We kept other people safe when we hunted around people. We were respectful. Uh, and we killed birds. And we had – we. I mean, we have food for the table, guys. We fried up some duck breast last night. Talk about delicious. It was so good last night. So keep doing what you're doing, guys. Um, thank you so much. We also mentioned all the great sponsors, guys, that are part of the show. Go support those companies. They're all locally owned and operated. Uh, you know, mom and pop type companies that make great products. We think you'll enjoy them. Uh, so check them out. Visit their websites. Visit their social media pages. And give them some business, guys, because it's all great companies with great products that y'all going to enjoy. Trust us. And let them know that Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoor sent you to them. They'd appreciate that so much. Well, guys, that's all I got for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether it was on YouTube or you're listening on your favorite podcast streaming platform. We appreciate you tuning in. You can check us out on our social media platforms. We're on all of them, Instagram. Facebook, um, you can get us on all your podcast streaming platforms, including iHeartRadio now, guys. We are now up and running on iHeartRadio. Facebook is also streaming our podcast. You can go to your mobile app on your Facebook mobile app, and you can look up podcasts on our page at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, and you can listen to our podcast there, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and many others, guys. So go check it out. Share it with your friends. If you like it, subscribe to it. We appreciate it. Uh, you'll be notified anytime we get new content coming your way, guys. We really do appreciate it. But most of all, take care. Thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you all soon, guys. Y'all take care and have a good one. This is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowls. See y'all soon. Hey, guys. Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Are you looking to protect or give your firearm a fresh look? If so, let Wrap It Up Cajun Customs take care of it for you. 
We specialize in custom vinyl wraps in your favorite patterns from mossy oak and real tree as well as many others. Request a quote now by visiting us on Facebook at Wrap It Up Cajun Customs or give us a call at 985-687-3953. This episode is also brought to you by Benoit Performance Baits. Bait and tackle for all your fishing needs. Benoit Performance Baits offers some of the best soft plastics for bass, sackalay, and saltwater fishing. Whether it's a day on the water trying to catch a mess of fish for a family fish fry or a heavy bag to win a tournament, we have what you need and what the fish want. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok to place your order now. <laughs> 